Welcome to the Daily Stoic Podcast, where each weekday we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, a short passage of ancient wisdom designed to help you find strength and insight here in everyday life. And on Wednesdays, we talk to some of our fellow students of ancient philosophy, well-known and obscure, fascinating and powerful. With them, we discuss the strategies and habits that have helped them become who they are and also to find peace and wisdom in their actual lives. But first, we've got a quick message from one of our sponsors. The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now, like for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts, discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Think about this. It's probably because it's painful that we don't do it very often. But when was the last time you really thought about a moment when whatever you did or said was wrong, like really, really, really wrong. Maybe you were gung-ho about invading Iraq. Maybe you confidently sold a bunch of cryptocurrency in 2014 before the crash you were sure was coming. Maybe you fell for a scam or you got caught up in bad company. Maybe you're older and you grew up with a negative view of Martin Luther King Jr. and his agitation tactics. Maybe you in some college phase were optimistic about the potential of Hugo Chavez or some other dictator. The point is, you've had moments when you were wrong. It happens to all of us. And yet, as we've talked about before, we struggle to come to terms with this, despite its universality. Clearly, it wasn't easy for Seneca to come to terms with how badly he misjudged Nero. Don't you think Marcus Aurelius had at least a little bit of trouble seeing the truth about Lucius Verus or Avidius Cassius? Admitting you have been wrong about something can be very uncomfortable, especially the more public your air was. But we can't shy away from the reality of that uncomfortable truth. If anything, we have to deliberately seek out this discomfort, because wisdom, at a very minimum, is about not making the same mistake twice. If Marcus had been able to wrestle with his blindness to certain people's flaws, might he have been able to avert disaster with his son Commodus? Nowhere in Seneca's writings, in his extensive personal correspondence, does he deal with his complicity in Nero's misdeeds. 
Had he been willing to discuss it, probe it, might he have acted sooner, more overtly? This self-reflection and self-criticism, which Seneca claimed to do nightly, might have saved lives, including his own. We are all wrong from time to time. We have held stupid and utterly incorrect opinions. There is some shame in that, but the truly shameful thing is to deny that it happened and refuse to learn from the experience, which is why we have to take some time to think about our own thinking and to let the acknowledgement of the errors of our ways make us better. Hey, it's Ryan Holiday. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Stoke Podcast. I guess it was a couple years ago now, four years ago, three years ago now, somebody sent me an article that was in like the OC register that uh, the GM of the Los Angeles Rams, who had just moved back there, had one of the Memento Mori coins on his desk. And I thought that was super cool. And I emailed the reporter and I said, hey, that's so cool. Thank you for including that. And uh, he ended up connecting me, not to Les Snead, who is the GM of the Rams, but his wife, Kara. And Kara and I became friends. Uh, We shared book recommendations. She's a a huge reader. And then I got to meet them for the first time in person when I believe it was in 2019 that I spoke at the NFL owners meeting, uh, which I've talked about in in other episodes. Uh, And they gave me a whole bunch of great advice on what I should talk about, how to reach the people in the audience. And uh, this awesome friendship has come from it. Uh, They've gotten to be friends with Robert Greene as well. They brought us out to a Rams game. Uh, Robert, uh, having been a lifelong Angelino, grew up a Rams fan. So it's been this awesome thing. And then to see them go to the Super Bowl and and be one of the best teams in football, it's been a really cool experience. I went out and I spoke to the coaching and scouting staff at the Rams uh, the season before COVID, which was a really cool experience as well uh, when they were training out there, I think in Irvine, which was cool. And anyways, today's episode is my interview with the one and only Les Sneed. Les Sneed has been the general manager of the Rams since 2012. That's quite a tenure in professional sports. Before that, he was with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, He attended University of Alabama at Birmingham. He played for the football team there and then transferred to Auburn. He is a fascinating guy, a big reader, as you'll get in today's episode. And we talk about some of the sort of cultural pillars of an organization like the Rams, how someone like Les makes decisions under pressure, how he ignores the short-term incentives of his profession, how he ignores the noise and the criticisms, focuses on doing his job, focusing on keeping the main thing, the main thing, which is one of the mantras there at the Rams, and a whole bunch of other fascinating stuff. I think you're really going to like this episode. The only other thing I would say, a related episode you might enjoy, uh, but a few months ago, I had Nita Strauss on the podcast, who I also connected the Sneeds with, because she happens to play the national anthem and all the on-field music for the Rams. Uh, She's one of the great guitarists of our time. So if you enjoyed this episode with with, uh, Les Sneed, check out my interview with Nita Strauss. And of course, uh, check out the Rams this season. Hopefully it will be a great year. And uh, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this episode. Be safe, everyone. This Delta variant is no joke. It's several times more infectious and contagious than the previous variant. Uh, By some count, we shed something like a thousand times more of the virus. What I'm saying is that it's never been more dangerous 
to be unvaccinated, please get vaccinated. As you've known, I've talked about this bunch on the uh, on the episode. We're asking very little of people, right? Uh, and the Stoics talk about serving the common good, being good, doing good. Getting vaccinated is the tiniest little thing you can do for the collective health, not just of your family and your friends and your community, but the country and the world. So please do it. I don't mind expending any of my relationship or audience capital talking about this, and I don't think Les would either. Here's the episode. Talk soon. Here's my first question that I remain fascinated with, and I probably asked like 10 people. So uh, you, of all people, would be able to answer, though. Is it possible to be great in professional sports, let's say as a GM of a team, and work somewhat normal hours? Or does everyone have to do the, like, get there at 4 a.m., work around the clock sort of thing that coaches and, and GMs are notorious for? Uh, if I answered that, this is my 25th NFL training camp. Yeah. So if I answered that 25 years ago, I would say I would it would be different. I would say, oh, you got to be there at four. And maybe if everybody's getting there at four, you got to be there at 345. Right. I do think uh, 10 years now into being a GM, not just uh, entry-level job in professional sports, uh, because of the experience uh, that you earn, and sometimes uh, you earn it the hard way, uh, there is the, you, you, we can definitely intentionally manage our schedules uh, or intentional focused work and not have to be right. Let's call it working uh, the grind absurd hours that really right now. Right. And we're, and we're bringing in sports science to, to professional sports. Uh, thanks to, you know, a lot of sports overseas and uh, sleep's important. And, and there's even some, I know there is, is even some professional sports team, probably college teams that are, that are actually charting the decisions, let's call it a coaching staff makes after 9 PM. And, uh, you know, in their, in their, let's call it journal analytics. Uh, it does, you know, I've, I've been told by a few people that I'd appreciate it that, okay, our decisions after 9 PM are less than our decisions maybe before then. Yeah. Because it seems like, uh, sports have been relatively late to the idea. Like I was, I'm, I have a chapter about load management in, right. in the book that I'm working on right now. It's crazy to think that Popovich basically pioneers the concept of load management, not like in the 90s, but this was like 2015 or 2012. I forget what it is. But late, mid-2010s, mid that's when you first get a coach going like, hey, if we manage the wear and tear that we put on a player, they can play for longer, right? Right. So as sports have, have come to the idea of load management for athletes, I'm curious, do you think about it also inside the front office as well? Like how do you reduce the grind uh, so people make better decisions, they're healthier, happier, you know, uh, m less likely to burn out uh, on oh, the job? Definitely. And, and like I opened the first answer, 10 years into being a GM, a lot different than 10 years ago. Uh, but uh, definitely in my role, want to do my part in engineering a, an ecosystem right where 
where there can be an element of balance. Uh, and, and with that being said, enjoy the journey. So here's what's interesting, Ryan, though. I do think uh, to be great in professional sports and maybe even great at something for a long period of time, there probably has to be an element of obsession yeah. where maybe you don't add hours to the day, but you might delete let's call it big rocks in your life, right? You might have less hobbies. You might, so now you're, you may be, you may, your big rocks may be down to one to two to three, hopefully at least two, right? Where it's family and your obsession. Yeah. And, and then maybe a couple to three more after that. But even after that, you know, those top two are somehow dominating, uh, right? The, you're basically our pie chart. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, in meditations, Marcus Aurelius talks about how people who love what they do wear themselves down doing it. So, like, you have to love what you do. Like, I, I love writing. Clearly, you love football. It just, I'm always interested, whether it's Wall Street or sports, uh, movies, where people work these insane hours. I wonder what at the, it, I wonder how much of that is actually the obsession and the love, how much of it is the fact that, uh, other people are doing it. You know what I mean? I feel like it's like if all the GMs suddenly said, you know, these are the hours, if if the on-field product would be visibly different to the fan. Uh, I, I don't I, I actually don't think but I, I think you're you're on to something right when you when you first get in it. It could be the element right of, of just social pressure. Yeah. Uh, hey, if this successful GM is doing, I got to do it his way. And if I don't, and then uh, I'm not as successful and then somebody finds out, then it's going to right boil down. Well, he's working two more hours a day than you. And I think we all would, would probably add those two hours more into the workday. If it, if there was a study that proved the, the amount of hours actually led to right successful results all the yeah. time. But I think when you when you really drill down and reverse engineer, it's not necessarily the the hours. It's probably the the quality of the hours. Well, there's the the law of diminishing returns, right? There's you get to a certain point where just because you're putting more hours in doesn't mean you're getting more results back out. Correct, and that and we have yet to find our. Uh, and I was distracted because my computer keeps beeping when an email comes in. So new computer that I got. So I haven't been able to turn that off. So hopefully that's not. Uh, no, it's no problem. We can edit. But yeah, that. our analytics is showing that. And I think 10 years in and even getting to age 50, it is interesting. Like, it, it, I mean, it, I think of the absurd hours sometimes I could do when I was 29. And it might be you just wake up at three 40 a.m. and you're wide awake and you go right to the office and and you leave at 11 but it, it didn't seem you didn't seem to get tired and you certainly couldn't feel like wait a minute my brain it, it is foggy right now but at my age now i can tell when i've gotten less than seven hours of sleep i can yeah. i mean i wake up and i'm not firing on all cylinders right and and you can i can definitely tell as it gets later in the night like okay i I must turn off this and from this point forward, only do something recreational or relaxing because, uh, you know, I'm not productive. I'm not innovative. I'm not thinking as clearly. I'm not solving any problem or creating anything 
worthwhile. And it can kind of create a wicked feedback loop, right? You're you're working extra hard, you're working these hours. As you said, your decision-making ability goes down. So then you make not you make bad decisions or less than ideal situations that you then have to spend the next day unfucking or resolving because you lost your temper at somebody or you sent some email you shouldn't have or you you started messing with something that you should have left alone. And then now you can't sleep uh, because you have to be at the office solving some problem that actually you created. Excellent wisdom. And it's interesting that my my mind wondered to two and in life, right, we're not going to come up with a with a game plan that we can execute daily. So it, I'm sure if you're starting a new business per se, and maybe there's you're obsessed with that business, but because you're starting something new, you're actually engineering you know, the structure that's going to carry right the the work the, you know your business workplace whatever it is forward i think if any wisdom i would give then it would be okay like you said maybe this four-day stretch when we open the doors we're going to really be working way too long but there's going to be an element of adrenaline there that probably carries you through sure but certainly probably chunk on the uh other side of those four hours is okay i really truly need to get away for the weekend and, and, and recovery relax, back fresh recover. Uh, and there's probably even wisdom there where if you're starting a new business in that same analogy, you getting away is maybe the founder and leaving it to next in charge. It, it would be a, a, a very uh, nice learning opportunity early sure. in the down when, when probably one hiccup isn't going to, you know, bring or, or close the doors. So when I when I came out and talked to you guys, I guess it was two years ago now or three, I forget. But one of the one of the things you had showed me that was sort of in the Rams cultural values was uh, keep the main thing, the main thing. What, it, what does that mean? And, and how do you guys sort of actually apply that? Uh, so. Really simply, I think what I would say, let's call it the, let's call it one, the one variable of that or the first variable is, all right, we have, we have an organization made up of a lot of different people. And within that, each one of, right, these individuals has an expertise and, and some of those individuals are leading other experts in, in kind of their realm or, or that group's expertise and, and some of the some of the people in those groups are, are trying to become experts and may have other roles that help the experts but so number one would be uh the first variable was if we all come into the building and try to help the rams improve at football at whatever your job description is sure uh spend our energy there right so what that leads to what we're hoping is right. Some version of, of some compound interests, uh, a Jim Collins flywheel effect, a, a snowball effect where, right. We just keep rolling the, the snow and the ball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's, it's because we're focused on that snowball, right? So that's number one. The other two is I, I think it, it can cut down on, on some of the, the people interaction, collaboration, drama, Right. In terms of that, I do that. I think hinders 
production is okay sure. wait a minute that's that's not the main thing right whether whether uh you know one person likes this color and the other person likes that color one person voted for this politician the other that that's okay that's not the main thing here let's get back to making rant rounds football better so that that's probably the and i can go this and you're gonna you're gonna ask a question in the entertainment business uh because our product is is really uh we're creating it for the public yeah and the neat thing is what keeps uh it's called entertainment uh, rolling and professional sports rolling is, is, is maybe the, the drama that takes place in between the games. Sure. And there is an element, right, of, of there's going to be a lot of noise on the outside. Sure. Right? Uh, critics, what have you, ideas, and, and but let's not so, – that's not the main thing. That The main thing is to create a product so that – uh, our fans can discuss it, whether they thumbs up it or thumbs down it. That's we have to stay focused on the main thing, and the main thing is winning Rams football. Well, it's really I think it's not necessarily winning. That would be the result. I think what we can control is dominating our role and trying to make Rams football better. Uh, and that's a little bit easier to control. It's a little bit easier to build a task list and, hey, let's go win a game. What we're hoping, Ryan, is all of that combines that on Sunday uh, when when the clock, you know, runs out and there's zero, zero, zeros on the on the clock, you know, we have more points than the other team. But so does it is it like that the, the organization has the main thing of like get better at football? And then does each subsequent person have their own main thing? Like the GM yeah. has a main thing, the coach has a main thing, the running back has a main thing, the janitor has a main thing, and that's sort of where the the Belichick idea of like just do your job comes in. Do your job, be clear and concise on on what that job is, right? And, and stealing a little bit from from James Clear and, and some of his habit journal stuff, right? The the and he talks about the eighty twenty rule, right? It, yeah, it, it's making sure everyone in the building. Right. Has those one to two to three, four things that they can dominate, that they actually can manage enough time and intensely focus on that and dominate. And again, that gets back to your first question now. Right. Is is uh, right. Everyone has a specific role. They know that role. They understand that role. Uh, that should allow them to not have to be at the office at 4 a.m. And, and and leave at 11. And, and, it, and it can also uh help individuals determine, wait a minute, this isn't a role that truly fulfills me. So maybe I better go look somewhere else. Right. It must be weird for the GM because you have so much control, but then you also have so little control. Like you can assemble the players, you can negotiate their contracts, you can set up incentives. But at the end of the day, like you can't actually throw or catch the football for them and you can't decide what plays get called. So is that is that a challenge too? Like how do you how does each person in the organization stay in their lane? That is that is the humbling part of sports, probably a humbling part of a lot of life, but it, it, it is it is maybe the more fulfilling part of sports is right where there is there is a a collection of humans and we're just we're collaborating to compete, right? We're collaborating not necessarily to be the best GM or be the best 
offensive line coach or be the best athletic trainer or be the best team chaplain or be the best team psychologist. We're all collectively collaborating for the Rams to be greater. And, and that whole Rams is, is greater than all of, the, of us. So both humbling and frustrating, and fulfilling. Yeah, humbling, frustrating, and fulfilling at the same time. Yeah, because not all – Hey Ryan, can I check out and go close the door real quick? Of course. Can you hear the can you hear the construction? A little bit. Much better. Yeah, one of those things you can't control, right? We have training camp at in Irvine and our hotel is going uh under full blown construction, but during COVID or times it is it is Right, the uh, the obstacle is the way, or the rose of the thorn is. There's only us really at this hotel. Oh, so nice! Right. We're not hearing it. I remember when um, when I wrote "You Goes the Enemy." There was this exchange between John Snyder and Pete Carroll. Someone someone was asking them. They said, "You know, how have you guys worked together for so long?" Most GMs and coaches are not don't have long-term collaborative relationships. It tends to be short-term or collaborative or, or worse. They hate each other. And John Snyder said something like, ego is the enemy, meaning that the two of them were able to collaborate because they took ego out of it. Is, how, how does that relationship work, not just between you and Sean, but, but how does it work generally? Because I imagine there is some jockeying for power and control, but the only way you're both going to be successful is if you're able to collaborate with each other. Yes. And going back to the main thing and the main thing, main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, if, if your main thing as a general manager or head coach is to right gain more power or control within your organization, that, that doesn't necessarily help you on Sundays. Sure. Now, maybe the reason one of the two is trying because they actually think that, but the energy spent trying to gain that extra power control probably somewhere along the way dilutes what they're really experts at. And then going back to that, right, both a general manager, head coach, and anyone in this building, right, we, we probably have different superpowers, different expertises, and there's an element, right, where you where you definitely have to respect and then trust that the other can do, you know, and be useful and, and dominate their responsibility. So I think that is is very key. And, and that's what really works between Sean and myself is he really wants to coach football. And I would not be any good at coaching football. Uh, and he doesn't want to do my job. Right. He might be good at my job, but he doesn't want to do it and i think we both right that allowing each other to do their job that allows us to really focus on what we're experts at and at the end of the day that truly helps when we when we do sit down to solve problems overcome obstacles uh collectively collaboratively right to figure out the best solution or the or the or the, or the better innovation and things like that. Got a quick message from one of our sponsors here, and then we'll get right back to the show. Stay tuned. 
Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. You could say, right, the obstacle is the way I've always been a student of failure, of things that go wrong. It's so easy to celebrate things going right, but we can learn a lot from when it doesn't go right. Each week, David Duchovny chats with guests like Ben Stiller and Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalyst for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure. Fail better together. Fail better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm just about to go into the studio to record my latest audiobook. My wife and I have been listening to audiobooks. We've been listening to audiobooks in the car as a family just to keep our kids off screens because Audible is amazing. And Audible is also the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next to listen recommendations to satisfy every type of thriller listener. If you want breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that will enthrall you, even brand new and exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors and you want to check out Audible. My wife and I were just raving about this true crime audio book that we read called Furious Hours. And then I've been raving about this book, Night of the Grizzlies, which I loved. Audio piques the imagination and it brings thrillers to life. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Visit audible.com slash daily stoic or text daily stoic to 500 500. That's audible.com slash daily stoic or text daily stoic to 500 500. Yeah, I was fascinated. Did you watch the uh, the um, the Last Dance documentary about the Bulls? Yes, I was fascinated. It, it, it's actually pretty common where, like, you know, you have a GM Jerry Krause, and then you have the coach Phil Jackson, and the GM is like jealous of the coach that the coach getting all the attention and the credit, and it's like, dude, you picked the job that is the least sexy and public facing. And then you're mad that you're not getting the same amount of attention as the guy who's on television every night. Um, I'm, I'm going through this with, with some friends that, that, uh, that, that bought a business together. And it's like, one of them is the public facing and the other was like the behind the scenes guy, but the behind the scenes guy is jealous that the public facing guy is public. And it's like, how did you not see this coming? So I'm always fascinated with the way ego can destroy a relationship that they they went into with their eyes open and somehow we still we want to have our cake and eat it too like do you know what i mean oh no that that's that's probably why stillness is the key right so you you could sit down and be still and as i think through that uh in the bulls analogy right jerry krauss wouldn't be jealous of phil jackson unless they were successful right, right. if phil jackson was flopping he wouldn't be jealous of Phil Jackson. But at the end of the day, both Phil and Jerry were hired to have a successful basketball right. team. And that is exactly what occurred. So, uh, I, I, you know, sometimes I, I laugh at that. I mean, it's, we've like, termed them high-class problems or, yeah. or you know, in, in psychology, right, uh, small differences. But at the end of the day, right, a GM – Right. Number one should want a really successful coach and coaching staff that is is preparing a team to be successful on game days. I mean, that's so I mean, that's now you've we should be celebrating that. Right. We that that cigar moment, maybe that's that's. Yeah, you're resenting the person for doing exactly what 
they were hired to do. And deep down, you became a scout or a GM because you're not that person. Do you know what I mean? You're not the person who uh, seeks out the limelight, who can do the thing on camera. So it's strange. What It's like we want, like I know people who they'll write a book and then they'll sort of suddenly be mad that, or not mad, but they'll be envious of someone like an entrepreneur who made like lots of money. And it's like, were you under the impression that book publishing was where you would go to make the most money? Like you picked the wrong thing. If that you, you can't pick a thing being very aware of the inherent trade-offs of that thing. And then, and then once you get to the finish line, expect it to magically be different than it was promised to you at the time you in started the process. Yeah, I think you mentioned it, right? That keen awareness of of what you I would say what what you signed up for and yeah. and be accountable for, right? The sum of all the things you've signed up for, and then when it right say if you get to the end and that's not as fulfilling for whatever reason, right? It, okay, the the in your case, right? The author now puts up his pen and paper or typewriter or computer and now goes and starts a business. I don't know if it works, but yeah. that's probably that's probably how the process sh should go. And there should not be a lot of uh, griping or moaning or groaning about that. Well, it's like we we what we when, when we're jealous of someone, it's very rarely that we're like, oh, I would trade places with them. We want everything that we have and we want what they have. You know, like Jerry Krause wasn't wasn't like, no, I'd like to be the head coach and I want someone else to be the GM. It's that to go to your point about doing your job, it's like we want to do our job and then we want other people to do their job. But we also want credit for the way that they did their job. Yeah, I think it, uh, I love psychology and, and you know, my wife will and she does. But yeah. I mean, there's some ver there's some element of homeostasis there, right? You right. You wanted to be a successful GM and having a successful coach and a successful team is his part of that. But once that sets in and that becomes the norm, you're exactly right. Wait a minute. Something else. Cool. I would like to be the one that does the press conference every day. But now maybe you wouldn't like to uh, right, design the plan every every week to beat the other opponent. But you would love to be the face. And, it, and, and, and again, it gets back into that why we simply design hey, the main thing, the main thing. Because a lot of times, right, wh why does a simple slogan like that, how does it have complex complexity and how does it how is it useful to a dynamic, complex organism, organization? And it can be in those moments when you're struggling that way as an individual or two people are in the or, or what have you, we can always go back to, OK, is this the main thing? No. What is the main thing? The, it, it, those type slogans, if you live them and use them intentionally in stiller moments, right, can can let's call it recalibrate all of us to what we signed up for, as you said. That's what I love about sports. It's been fascinating to, to get to see it up close is that all these cliches that you see on the outside, they're like, focus on what you control. Keep the main thing, the main thing you realize that those were invented in sports to solve like 
very real and very common problems. Like I remember when I spoke at the Browns a couple years ago, I felt a little stupid. I was like, you know, I was like, okay, I did a, a, a part of my talk was on focus on what you control. Part of my talk was on tuning out distractions. And I felt like this was very basic stuff. Like, you know, is this really what I should be talking about? And then I remember that the Browns went out, they had a not good season at the end of it. Uh, at, starting for last year, Baker Mayfield was like, someone was, someone asked Baker Mayfield, like, what are you going to do better this year? What do you think went wrong last year? And he was like, you know, I really spent a lot of time uh, uh, distracted by things and not focusing on what was in my control. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. That These cliches are there because the same problems, the same human tendencies just sort of pop up over and over again. And you're sort of boiling things down to their essence. So they're very simple, as you said. But there's also a lot of complexity and applicability to them. Yes, and I think the the simplicity of it allows it to be on the tip of your tongue. Maybe put it on the wall, and yeah. and the key, like you said, in there's it's very simple. Like like the majority of our wisdom is right, and you you've uh, for whatever reason right had a had found the passion in past wisdom uh, that many generations have curated and, and boiled down to maybe a, a sentence or two. Uh, and sometimes it seems common sense, but it's not necessarily common practiced because yes. we get life gets so fast. But I, I think when things are speeding and, and, and it, life gets fast and whatever, having, having that simple, uh, you know, guardrail to say stay between the lines or, or slow down, uh, maybe just a simple speed bump. We have to now slow down and think about. Well, sim- simple and easy aren't the same thing. Yeah, I would, uh, yes, I would say it's probably harder, correct, to, to probably write something really simple that lasts three to four generations or longer. Well, no, what I what I mean is like be where your feet are. Uh, keep yes. the main thing, the main thing, uh, you know, focus on what you control. That's very simple, but it's super hard. It's like the hardest thing to do. And I imagine it's extraordinarily hard when you uh, are worried about a 300 pound man running at full speed uh, trying to, to hurt you or when you're negotiating a hundred and fifty million dollar contract or when you have you know, 60,000 fans screaming at you. Those ideas are very simple, but applying them is very difficult in the moment. Very much. Because we're discussing sports too, that that most, a lot of strategy within the game of football is again designed to take simple rules of engagement, but create this illusion of complexity Right. If, if it just to stay with football, American football, an offense, you offenses do a lot of motions and things are going fast. But what it, what it's designed to do is cause the defender's brain that actually has these very simple rules. Right. Like I have I had so there's five eligibles that can catch a football. Right. And it, and it can be wide receivers, tight ends or running backs. But there's five of them. Sometimes there's three wide receivers in the game. Sometimes there's only two. But each defender, a lot of their rules are based on, OK, I have the first wide receiver or I have the first eligible. 
And then I have the second eligible and I have the third. And it usually goes, let's just call it left to right. And there's these simple rules. But when when one's motioning and now he's the four and, and, and routes are designed, it's all designed to take simple rules and and right create havoc and distraction and chaos right to that order. But the really good teams, the really good coaches, right, they're able to teach and, and keep these simple principles right simple during the the chaos and lack of order that's going on during a, a game and obviously life no that's a good uh, that's a good analogy for life because it's sort of like you know tell the truth uh be a good person uh do your best these are like things we know we say and then life uh makes things really complicated and now there's a now it's not quite clear what your best is, or should you tell the whole truth? Uh, but but there might be consequences for telling the truth, right? But there's all these reasons where those simple rules, it, life is trying to sort of distract you from those simple rules. But if you just stick with what you know, if you stick with you, what you believe, General Mattis says, um, you know, know your flat ass rules and stick to them. If you just do that, you'll be fine. But the problem is almost when we when we overthink it, when we when we allow ourselves to be sort of knocked off the the job we've been assigned, that's where we get into trouble. Yeah, I mean, going to to General Mattis and in, in, uh, circling back to what I just uh, chatted about, really good coaches will talk about your your panic rules. Right mm. when there's chaos and your brain is pack panicking, okay, just go to your flat ass out rules. If, a lot just happened, but slow down, go to your – you got number three. You got the third eligible. There he is, one, two, three. Maybe it all changed before, but it's simple math. Go to your flat-ass panic rules. Stay with three. It will probably work out. But a lot of times, as you said, during the chaos and lack of order, you may even forget that you had three and now who is three and why is that three and can I even count the three? Well, I, I like the idea of panic rules. Do you have those as a GM? Like, I've got to imagine, like, you're thinking, hey, we're going to draft this person or we're going to make this trade or we're going to renegotiate this contract. And then all of a sudden somebody says something on social media. Then there's a report on ESPN. You know, now the fans, they think strongly about this or you're getting, you know, uh, owner the, the owner is putting in their opinion. Do you have, like, uh, flat ass rules or panic rules that you revert to under pressure or stress. Like, here's what I here are the basic assumptions I have as a GM. You know, what are those, and how do you revert back to them under pressure? We definitely have panic rules, and it's interesting when us in sports get a chance to uh, to uh, right read read books by people like yourselves. You know, th those we add to those panic rules because some of those simple rules, uh, I mean, and the wisdom that, that you articulate and, and the examples behind them can, can go to the list. So there is definitely, and, and probably at the end of the day, somewhere along the way, uh, keep the main thing. The main thing is a panic rule. Uh, sure. We say around here, we, not me, and, and sometimes that means we is greater than me, even though we're well aware that the individual, the me's that make up the we are, are the heartbeat and matter because they're people. But it can it can help you 
go back to, okay, wait a minute, we're here to do what's best for the whole. So how do we make a decision? Okay, maybe we're we're making a more individual decision that may set some precedence that these other individuals that are part of the we now, uh, right, are disturbed by it. And it's an unattended consequence. So and there's there's many of them. And 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 one of them is uh, when in doubt, don't act when in doubt. uh Think about it more, right? Because sure. there's an element of doubt there that, okay, if we have to make the decision right now and there's more doubt than certainty, don't make it, right? Don't don't make the, the don't false. Don't trade somebody out. under pressure, that kind right. of thing. And it and it might and and, and making that trade might have been right the right thing to do. But we would rather have the let's call it the fault. Is that right? Is we'd rather have the faults negative than faults positive. Yeah. So, uh, but okay, wait a minute. Don't tomorrow we still have an opportunity to make that same trade. Okay, let's let's think about it longer. We thought there was a timeline. There's not. So you you just continue right analyzing the decision. So there's a lot of those panic rules. Uh, no, I see. I see what you're saying. It's like you. It's better that you miss out potentially on a trade than to develop the habit of making decisions that you're not 100% sure about. Right. And not that we're ever, right? Technically, probably you're never 100% sure, but I always say the certainty of the decision we're sure of than the the uncertainty or or the doubt of. Well, that's like that rule, you know, like uh, hell yes or no. Like you either really want to do it or don't do it. And that's a good rule because it, Yes, you'll miss out on some stuff that would have been amazing. And I'm, I'm terrible at enforcing this rule, but you'll miss out on a lot of stuff. You, you might miss out on stuff that's amazing, but you won't drift into doing stuff that deep down you're not really sure about and you know you probably shouldn't do. Uh, yes, and what's interesting, I've attributed that rule in my book. Like, right, if it's not a, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Yeah. You know, it, but I've attributed it to you and I know yeah. other people have discussed it, but you've mentioned it a lot. Yeah. But I wonder, right, because that may be the 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 pain point, the PTSD that you're constantly right trying to get there. You're not there yet. You've probably improved a lot, but you want to continue getting there. I wonder if that what is what makes you great at actually getting that point across got a quick message from one of our sponsors here and then we'll get right back to the show stay tuned when you're hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the job in fact we were just hiring for daily stoke and we found our new podcast editor on linkedin jobs because linkedin jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free over 2.5 small businesses use linkedin for hiring like we do as i was just saying because linkedin isn't just a job board it helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, sometimes even faster than that. You can hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, exhausting, or exhilarating, but one thing's for certain, if you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you'll gain insights and uncover truths you can only find in therapy. If you want some personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support, you can sign up right now for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you sign up online, you get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredible convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist and you do it from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. And to celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast 80 bucks off your first month with promo code SPACE80. When you go to Talkspace.com slash stoic, to match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month with code SPACE80 and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Stoic, code SPACE80. I think, th- I know I definitely didn't come up with the rule. I've seen it from lots of people. I think the way, the reason I struggle with the rule is like when I think about a couple of the big decisions I made, the decision to drop out of college, the decision to leave my corporate job to become a writer, I was not sure it was the right decision. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was like 60, 40 that it, it would work. Even th- this bookstore that I opened, uh, there were so many moments where I'm like, this is obviously a terrible idea. What am I doing? Right. And so I think if you, if you expect everything to be clear all the time, you're probably not taking enough risks. I think that's the problem with that rule. Right. Great point. Well, what about you? Because one of the knocks uh, on the Rams is that uh, you guys traded away all your first round draft picks. How how do you, one, I'm curious what your actual take on it, because I imagine there was a lot more strategy to it than people think. But two, how do you ignore criticism or doubts in the organization, outside the organization, maybe in your own head? Um, Because I'm sure you see the point of view that people have there. But clearly you did it intentionally. Did it intentionally, very strategic. I think number one is I, 10 years in, I, I, I read a lot less. But I can tell you, Ryan, that if I do read something, uh, right, I'm, I'm not, I'm still enough to, or I've taken a lot of wisdom from you, right? I'm stoic enough, or at least intentionally practice stoic, stoicism that, okay, this comment, this tweet, this simple take, right, shouldn't disrupt or even ruffle or, or get my emotions high or low, depending on whether it's praise or criticism. Uh, now, but I, and, and I'm also aware that, right, why get into, uh, write a business, uh, let's call it the entertainment business, yeah. like I said, where a lot of the right the the content that drives our business to be, I mean, dr- drives NFL football to be maybe the number one right viewed sport and entertainment entity right now it is again the drama that yeah the speculation. So don't get into this business if if. And you're also aware that, right, good television is probably debate. Someone has to take the side that the Rams are doing, you know, cool things or, or not, right? And somebody has to take the side that they're not, and they got it. They got to banter about it, and, and it's fun, and it's it's, it's like, so. You got to be aware of that, like you said, and and that is uh, that is just noise. That's part of it, and that's actually a good thing uh, 
for the business. But what it shouldn't do right is derail you like all of a sudden uh, what someone says is, is now getting you to if it does get you to doubt what you're doing, you probably the process uh, was a little bit flawed. and You can you can learn from it. But on, uh, here's here's simply put too, we've given up our first round draft pick. I say this strategically. There's many ways to use draft capital. It doesn't necessarily have to be using it on a draft pick. If you're picking 15th in the draft, you don't have to use it on the 15th player. You can move it. You can move back and use it on the 22nd player and add more picks. So strategically, we've given up a lot of first round picks, but over the last three to four years, we have we're not number one, but we're probably top five in actually number of draft picks made over that three to four years, right? So we're doing other things strategically, intentionally to collect more draft capital so that we can add more young players, but we're determining to use that really valued resource on some known uh, commodities, known players. And it's only because we're aware of the window we're in. If we were building something, uh, it would probably not suit us to go out and get a veteran in his prime to come maybe help us get to six and 10 to seven and nine to eight and eight to nine and seven, I'll say, right? So uh, what I do know is though that's a very simple take uh and it it gathers attention and it should be discussed it's something fun to discuss we're doing things differently than maybe others or then that's ever been done in the past just as many other teams are doing uh but there's definitely probably more boring nuanced it doesn't make the headlines or doesn't make twitter or tiktok uh, that's behind it all when i would imagine the fact that it is controversial is probably is at least some evidence that it's cutting edge or counter programming. If you were doing what every other team was doing, that's probably because it's safe and conventional. The the fact that some people don't see the merit in it is at least a possible sign that you might be uh, getting value that other people are not getting. Right. Another simple rule, uh, Panic rule, maybe right is is, and we say it a lot of times is, hey, let's wake up sprinting and 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 don't be scared, and and waking up sprinting doesn't necessarily mean waking up early and sprinting till eleven, and and but the 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 sprinting part comes up, hey, when we wake up, know that we're in a league with thirty two teams, we're either on top or chasing, and at the end of the day, right, we're gonna have to to get an edge. We can't do, like you said, what everybody else is doing because people can watch the film or people can copy what everybody's doing. So there has to be this element that all of us take uh, that we believe bet on to give us an edge, but maybe unproven. Yeah, remember Peter Thiel, who we uh, we met at that uh, thing in Malibu together, um, his, his line, which I think about a lot, he says, competition is for losers. So obviously sports is competition, but his point is if you're all competing for who gets the number one draft pick, then somebody loses that competition, right? But if yeah. 
if you are trying to get go after the things that nobody else is thinking about or that nobody else wants, you're going to win because you're you have a monopoly. You're the only one scrounging through the trash pile looking for the stuff that everyone else has written off. Exactly right. And he nailed it. And, and right. I don't think any of us would get in professional sports. Right. If. If this was real business, real life, you wouldn't suggest your your investor get into something where there's only, you know, there's 32 chasing one thing. And every year, right, every year one one company makes it and 31 goes out of business, per se. Peter would go, okay, I'm not investing. That's bad business. Yes. And and obviously he hasn't done that to be where he is. So, yeah, how we can use that rule, uh, not necessarily for like what type of business you're going to start or problem you're going to try to solve. Right. But to also use that rule within the processes that we can control. uh, That's I'm writing that one down when we, when we, when we leave. Well, I was talking to an NBA coach a day before yesterday, we were talking about how basketball is now, uh, you know, a three point game. Um, and that everyone is focusing on these sort of super teams, right? And that that's where it's been. And yet, when you look at the two teams in the NBA Finals this year, they were the closest to an older style, complete basketball team. They had, like, you know, they're what. Obviously, Giannis is a is a is a you know a, a superstar. But but the Suns especially are much closer to like the kind of basketball that I grew up with, as opposed to like the game that the Warriors play or the Nets play. And so there's this kind of, I think Mark Twain said, when you're on the side of the majority, pause and reflect, you always want to see what everyone else is doing. And then you want to see, you know, how can I not do the opposite of that, but how can I question some of the assumptions in that and find unexpected value? Beautiful, beautifully said. I, I mean, and, and, and uh, right. It, it, that could go on forever, right? If, if every team's looking for really good three-point shooters and then there's only so many on them and everyone collects them, you may want that. You may have that vision. You know it works, but can you actually acquire that? And then to to say, wait a minute, there's another way, uh, right, to be successful in basketball. And I think about that in our game of football so many years ago. Let's take college football, the spread offense where – Right. There's a quarterback in the shotgun and there's five wide receivers. I mean, the eligibles are split out. Maybe there's four split out and there's one running back. But this whole spread game, teams that actually started that, right, were maybe high school teams that were outmanned, right? They were in a school district where mom and dad didn't produce the athletes that the other school districts did. So they spread everything out to to be different, to wait a minute, we got to play this team and we've never seen this before and we're bigger and stronger and they're faster. And then everybody has gone to that. So what's interesting in college football in the Pac-12, I think of Stanford who, because of Stanford's, right, because it's very, 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 very hard to get into Stanford, right? They, 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 their, their recruiting base is, is a lot, uh, the pool is a lot smaller than most teams. But what they ended up doing, right, everybody spread out. And when you spread out, you want to be faster, quicker. That means you want to, you have smaller players, right? There's only so many people who are large, who are also 
fast and quick. So they went the totally opposite because their recruiting base was right smaller to begin with based on the academic, but they went large, big and strong. And then they went old school football, no spread and just run right at you. So, and they've been very successful and competitive because, Hey, we're playing these smaller teams that are built to, to stop, right. The spread to, it's just like in basketball built to stop three pointers, but all of a sudden there's this big center who's the strongest player in, in the NBA. And, and I remember reading, I'm like, wow, okay. I, I get his game where he, he has, they called it as more. The last time we've seen someone score as many points off of layups and, and layups, not, you know, your layup line in basketball, but basically probably taking a step to the basket and banking it was Shaquille O'Neal. So he, they, they were able to Giannis. Yes. Giannis. So, Right. Yeah, it, Everybody's built for speed and quickness. And but wait a minute, how do we get in front of that locomotive? Yeah, it's um, have you uh, S.C. Gwynn, who wrote uh, Empire of the Summer Moon, one of the greatest uh, nonfiction books, I think, of all time. I've had him on the podcast. But did you read his book, The Perfect Pass? I did not. So you wrote this book. And I never thought about it. But like it, it basically talks about the invention of the passing game in football that like. Somebody invented that. Like, obviously, you've always been able to throw the football, but for like the first 50 years of the game of football, it was basically entirely a running game with the occasional throw. And, you know, a couple coaches understanding that that's what programming in football was designed counter programming to it. And that's where we get the modern football game. And, and, and that, yeah, you always want to, you always want to look for the unexploited opportunities as opposed to bashing yourself against the very well-established defenses in an industry, in a game. Uh, you know, even, even when you're like arguing with someone, we think like, I just got to bombard this person with facts. I'm going to like overwhelm them and dominate them. And it's like, have you ever changed your mind when someone has done that to you? No, you got to go around. And, and, the, and as we know, in these, this is why these, Fast and simple are simple rules when we slow down and we're still can be very effective is right. You think how tough it is to actually right move forward and execute something differently. And even if it was strategic with the bucks, right, how close it might have been to being perceived as crazy a failed experiment where they were the one seed for two years in a row, but didn't advance. They were down two games to none twice this year. If they would have, if they would have lost that net series sure. down, two, they might've, they might've even fired the coach and the experiment ended and what, what have so to, to stay pat, to, to go that direction, as we all know in real time, Right. There's there's definitely obstacles. There's definitely headways uh, that you got to persevere through and probably should read Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, if you're going to if you're going to take on that challenge, because uh, there's definitely going to be headwinds and, and hopefully just hills to climb and not necessarily mountains. Well, that must have been part of your experience. Right. So you, you get all the way to a Super Bowl and you guys got there really fast. And then it, it doesn't go your way. One, how does how how does it feel to lose a Super Bowl? How do you how do you handle something like that? And then two, how do you 
not overcorrect. That must be the real dangerous thing, right? Is like it clearly if the game had just gone slightly in a different direction, everyone would be celebrating you. Um, so how do you not overcorrect in the face of something like that? Yeah, they, uh, they're very tough to get over a Super Bowl loss. There's probably two factors in that. Normally in sports, you have a, a next game that just automatically, right? Even if, even if your fandom is not over it, you have to get over it quick because you got a next sure. right enemy that's coming in. The Super Bowl, right, because of the magnitude of the game or, or – Right, how the odds of actually getting to the game. I think about it when I watch these Olympians, right? It's it's like they're they got one shot for the gold. And if you come up with the bronze or silver and you and you and you feel at the end of the day, when you're probably telling stories in retirement, winning a silver medal is probably gonna be a peak moment in your life. But in that moment, because you had a chance for the gold, the sure. silver seems like the worst thing to happen. So it's a very tough. And then you got to wait four years to do it again. Right. Cause you, you just, you just don't know when you're getting back and, and you're exactly right. You, we do this in life and sports a lot, right. Over, overcorrect from the last game. But if, if, a, if an organization got to the Super Bowl, they did a lot of things, right. So there's probably less tweaking that needs to be done. So you definitely want to use that as a guardrail to go, okay, wait a minute, just because we – let's say we were really good at something the whole year and it actually got us to the Super Bowl, and then in the Super Bowl we didn't execute that well or maybe the enemy defended it a little better or what have you, right? you got to sit down and go, wait a minute, is this still what we do better? Is this still – right the best way for us to approach our strategy and and right the data says you're you're successful more times than not so and and the last thing i can say and this is probably pre-super bowl in sports ownership really matters and and i give our ownership credit because it at the end of the day and, and take losing the super bowl out of it just for myself right for our owner and our team president to allow me to continue being GM at, cause we, we began the build and, but you didn't have the fruits necessary and we made a coaching change, but they elected to keep myself, but in keeping myself could be good or bad. The good part of that would be you're able to have this wisdom and experience that no one else would have like, Hey, wait a minute, we should, tweak that, not this, or at least have those thoughts and, and the ownership not, let's call it overreacting to emotional losses or seasons and, and allowing, uh, right, allowing uh, continuity to occur and, and, and hoping or with the bet that that continuity uh, actually, right, provides wisdom that helps us keep climbing. Well, uh, Stan Kroenke seems to be a, a bit of an even keel kind of a guy. He seems like he's a difficult guy to rattle. Yeah, you see, I I know you've met him, uh, but boy, that and I know he he likes reading some of the Stoic philosophy. But whether he reads your Stoic philosophy, reads any at all, he is definitely born Stoic. Or if he wasn't born Stoic, he does a heck of a job intentionally practicing. And I think that really helps him in, in, in his, probably in his, 
you want to call it in his top expertise, which is is uh, buying, selling real estate. Right. I, I think it you, you definitely yeah, buy and to, hold takes a lot of discipline. Right. There's no doubt. And, and to know when to buy and what for and, you know, not necessarily buy right when you see it, all of those things. So I, it's interesting if some of those. Right. Whether it's learned, socialized, genetic, a, a lot of a lot of all of that mixed in there together. Actually, he picked the right obsession to be obsessed with. I remember a couple years ago, I, I had a meeting at the Montage in Beverly Hills and uh, I was I was leaving. I was getting in the Uber and the valet was like, hey, are you Ryan Holiday? And it's very unusual that authors get recognized. And I was like, I was. Uh, how do you know? And he was like, very weird story. But uh, but Stan Kroenke came here a few months ago and uh, I asked him for a book recommendation. This is what the valet was telling me. And he was like and he recommended that I read Marcus Aurelius, which I did. And that was how the valet had found my books. So he is definitely a, a student of the Stoics. And I, I he does seem to. Yeah, I imagine, you know, you spend all this time, all this money, your team gets to the very highest point and then you don't quite get it there. There would be the out of anger or frustration or, or, you know, desire to shake things up. I could see where you're like, we got to change everything. But but yeah, if your business is buying and holding real estate, that idea of of sticking with percentages, you know, if you take a shot that you're going to hit 70 percent of the time and you miss it, uh, your impulse is your instinct is to get mad at yourself. But that was actually the exact shot you should have taken. It is, you know, and and that. You have to understand that three out of 10 times, it's not going to go your way. That's, that's hard for the mind and the body and the heart to, to, to sit with when it doesn't go your way. Yeah, I think that's if you, using sports in, in, the, in the simplicity sometimes, right? The, the, the John Wooden one play at a time that Nick Saban has taken, right? That, that's, that's part of that, right? You can control and you actually have a chance Right. If you take things one play at a time to be successful, that one play. But again, like you said, it, success is right. Seven made in three. So that it, even if you miss those three right back to back and maybe your next three back to back, a part of the next 10. Right. You know, as long as the process is is there and you know, right, what the. The, the bigger data is saying that, okay, continue taking that. And we're going to eventually all of a sudden you're going to make maybe 14 in a row because you've now missed six and all of a sudden you're on a run. And I think the math can tell you that. I think really good coaches can present that to their players in a very emotional state to go, okay, we've missed six straight, but we're about to hit 14. The math says it and we're going to go on a run. And their lead's going to dissipate, and it's going to get back to normal. And then, then we got to go do what we got to do. But the, the the really, really, really good coaches can take right that complexity, boil it down into something simple and actually believable in a moment when there's a lot of doubt, right in the room. Well, I think about that Sean Payton uh, onside kick in the Super Bowl. Statistically, actually, a decent decision, and, and in fact. Coaches should do more onside kicks and more and go for it more often on fourth down than they do. But when you have 70 million people watching, taking a thing that is going to work out in your favor 
six out of 10 times or four out of 10 times, that takes some stones. You know what I mean? You have to be willing to sit with, if that doesn't work, people are going to call you a lot of names. Oh, you're in those, in the, you know, in those type moments, right? When the, the outcome, the magnitude of the outcome is, is it weighs more than normal. Right. And that's, and that's what makes sports. And it, 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 that made me think going back to right. Seven out of 10, they were playing Peyton Manning and I, I have not done the analytics at all, but I do know Peyton Manning is one of the best quarterbacks in football. He's one of the more cerebral at that at point. I wonder if they actually had data that goes, okay, we just went in the locker room at halftime, Peyton Manning coming out of halftime. If he gets the ball, uh, they have a 80% chance of scoring a touch, you know, of yeah. Bill Gold, a 72% score in a touch because he they made adjustments. So yeah. and and they've learned what you're doing. They've learned what they and then they how do they change yours? So they're and he's like, hey, we're gonna whether we pin him deep or not, the analytics say he's scoring anyway. So let's so shake things up. Let's shake things up. And if we steal that possession, uh right, we we've given ourselves a chance uh, rather than kicking off and now maybe Peyton making what was maybe a a small lead or tie game, you know, a bigger lead for them or what have you. So it, it, but it's those coaches being able to use that intelligence that sometimes isn't thought about by the world that's going to react on Twitter. I don't think Twitter was rolling in that particular Super Bowl, yeah. but could you have imagined Twitter right, right after that onside kick? Uh, and maybe there was Twitter then, but, and maybe that's what made Twitter big, like after that onside kick. You know, we need to put that energy somewhere. Yes. All right. Last question for you, because this is something I'm writing about right now. Uh, Tyler Cowen, who I love uh, from Marginal Revolution, he talks about this. Um, he says, you know, like a musician to get better, a musician practices their scales, right? You practice the scales you just over and over again. You go through the motions. This is how you get better. Um, he, he thinks about, you know, how do other professions get better, right? And I was thinking about the idea of practice. Like, it's obvious what a football team, how a football team practices to get better at football, right? Quarterback, how they practice to get better. Uh, running back, how they practice to get better. How do you think about getting better at what you do? Because what you do isn't, it's not so obvious, right? You can't, I mean, what do you do? Do you play fantasy sports? Like, how do you get better at being a GM? Other than just learning on the job, well, I, number I think the first thing you got to do is 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 put right all your decisions and 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 bucket them right. This was this was a a trade decision. This was actually a, an evaluation of amateur decision, college draft. Right. This was this was a, a, a staffing bigger picture staffing decision. Right. You got to bucket your decisions first. And, and, and then I like to, you, you like to put, I like to weigh them as well. Like if, if I get a C in all these decisions, it really means it doesn't affect us one way. It doesn't affect the main thing. So let's, let's now, let's not, let's not let that clutter, right. Our focus and intensity and then, and get to, right. These decisions right here weigh a lot. They're very crucial. Okay. Which, which ones, Am I actually good at or not? And if I'm not good, can I actually get good at them? And if the answer is no, well, let's 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 
consult that out. Let's hire somebody who is good at that. And okay, now, and now I can really focus on, and I've narrowed it down on to the thing similar to the musician, right? I've narrowed it down on, let's call it playing the piano, right? Okay, I, I know what I can actually get better at. I'm, I'm not now going to practice piano and drums and saxophone, sure. right? I'm gonna, maybe I'll pick two of those. And as a GM, you got to be a little bit broader. But again, if, I, if I'm not good at the saxophone, we're going to hire a saxophone player. I'm going to focus on drums and piano. And then at that point, at that point, really, all, all you can do is there's an element of, of somehow, right, assessing, right, the results and determining and you get into it. And it's and a lot of times it's meeting with smarter people. Sometimes a result doesn't mean you had a bad process. It was just, a, you know, bad luck, things like that. So. Hey, learning how to analyze decisions, learning how to practice. Like you said earlier, it's not necessarily uh, right. It's not it's not as cut and dry as and, and I do believe I could probably practice shooting free throws right now at age 50 every day and, and some improve my percentage sure. of 100 shots. Right. But OK, that's 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 not helping me. Basketball's passed me by and. You know, it's just a hobby, but sometimes GMing it is is less cut and dry. But within that, it might be, wait a minute, we missed on these draft picks. They didn't work out like we thought they would. Okay, now let's try to bucket the why. And it might be, holy cow, we're we're missing on 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 maybe doing some type of intangible assessment, right? Or maybe we're valuing a certain physical trait more than it should. And, and so it's, there's a flaw in your data or your assumptions and you want to analyze that. But again, I think, I got, I think you gotta, you gotta, you gotta build these buckets and, and, and really narrow it down because that, that musician, that's a drummer, right? Even he didn't go out and say, I'm going to practice the entire song when he practice or she practices, right? He or she's going to practice some, Right. Specific something that it takes to play drums. It's not going to be OK. I'm going to just practice the entire song. It might be I, this particular sure. note at this particular transition. I struggle with no matter the song and I'm really going to work on it, things like that. So I think you we have to do that. And it takes and stillness is the key. I remember I was reading about Pete Carroll. He was saying one year he made the coaches uh, watch uh, film of themselves on the sideline. Like they had to break down film of their coaching uh, and how how deeply uncomfortable that was for everyone because they were so used to dissecting every tiny movement or mistake of the players. And then all of a sudden that scrutiny was applied to themselves and uh, it was very uh, unpleasant and surprising. But that's kind of what we have to do is is – you have to put yourself up for review if you want to get better. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting. I'm like, I'm because I know what I'm really accountable for as a GM. Like, I really want to self-assess. I really want good critics, constructive critics. It's accountable and means something. But it's interesting. Similar to the, it just made me think on the coaching part, which is a brilliant idea, but. Like I hate listening to myself, or so I would yeah. never listening listen to this podcast. So I don't yeah. know whether I'm good or bad, but it, it would just 
but my wife always tells me, okay, if you wanted to get better at being a better podcast guest, you need to listen to yourself no matter how like, and I would hear myself mumbling or rambling and going, holy cow, I've talked too long. And Ryan's giving me every bit of body language to shut up. This is a podcast. I don't want anybody to cut this off. Right. And I still didn't listen to your body. But when I saw it at my hitting replay, I would go, Ooh, it would make me feel so uh, no, I, uncomfortable. That would probably become a better podcast guest. No, I'm I'm the same way. Actually, like when I um, when I spoke at the NFL owners meeting where where you were there. Um, That's I, pressure. That's pressure. No, I, I asked them for the, uh, for the, the, the recording of it. And I was like, I'm going to watch this and see what I could do better. And of course I couldn't, it's too uncomfortable, but I do find you can go like, you can just ask people who you trust. You can be like, look, what is, I, I always try to go like, give me some feedback, but no positive feedback. Like, tell me what's not working. Like when I give someone a draft of my book yeah. for notes, I say, you know, What's the worst part of this? Like, what do you hate? What do I need to get rid of? I try to just, I try to get that, that feedback, uh, by, by asking for, for hard. Yeah, I, I can't imagine if I were charged to do a Ted talk, like I would probably spend two years. I would probably go back to waking up at 4am and going to bed at 11am just to practice on. But I'm not right. sure that would make Maybe. you better. I think then you'd be all exhausted and burnt out and you'd be in your own head about it. So that shows you how hard it is to write, live the, the simple panic rules. Exactly. We revert back to what we knew, but what we knew wasn't necessarily wise. Last, last question. What are you reading? You're, you're a big reader. Are you reading anything good you'd recommend? I remember you when I visited you at training camp, you had a big stack of the books you were reading. Uh, the, the one I am, I finished, uh, this summer, uh, uh, Annie Duke, Angela Duckworth had recommended uh, Super Forecasters. Yep. Right. And the and they and that whole pen group, uh, brilliant people that's in the decision making and psychology decision making. But I had never read it. It's a it's a little bit older book, but there's an element of, of what we do. Of course. Uh, in in it's especially in in player personnel right decisions where you have these large staffs and and right we're 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 all we have these independent opinions and trying to right have you read uh fooled by randomness uh i have not i have heard but i but what i end up doing ron like i'm the opposite of some people i i end up reading a book and then i i really want to now study it and, and make sure I now every now and then I'll read something just to go, OK, I need to get away. And I read and I but I ha, it's interesting. I had to tell my brain, this is a book that I'm not taking notes. <laughs> this is a book I'm just going to digest. Right. And and enjoy. And it's going to take me away. And, and I'm sure I'm going to remember a nugget here or there. And then there's some books that I go, OK, I want to someone recommended this one, just like the one you just did and and go, OK, how to. I need to read that when I need to study it and now now review it and then review it again. So it my and man, my wife Kara can like read. Yeah, if she, she just gives you notes of everything, right? And yeah, she reads to... four or five books a week if she gets into it and she can give me the cliff notes and then passes but she passes books to me, mine stack up and it would take me a lifetime to read. I so it, it took me two summers. I just finished uh this summer. Uh, reading for the first time because I didn't read it young. Atlas shrugged. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, it's you're a thousand something pages into a pretty 
What did you, you think? Know, uh, you know what? Boy, this is a controversial, right? Uh, uh, you know what? I thought Anne Rand, I thought she was brilliant. Uh, I It was very interesting sociology being from Russia yeah. to now probably United States and some of those, whether you are all in on her ideology or not. I, I, what was interesting is I, I thought she was brilliant in the right, getting her ideology across and, and like all ideologies, I'm never going to fall on the sword for all of it. Right. But what I try to do in books like that, that are right deep and meaningful is okay. Uh, if I were, all in, these are the positives. If I were all against, these are the negatives. Kind of look at those and see sure. in reality, right, which ones blended together, you know, are working or not working. So like everything, right, there's there's probably uh, some thumbs up parts in it, and there's maybe some thumbs down parts. Like, I don't know if that could really work, but. No, it's it's what I think about Atlas Shrugged is it's very interesting, and it's impressive that she was able to make it interesting, uh, yeah. but it's, it's also, I, my, I read it when I was 19 or 20 and I think a lot of young men read it at that age and it feels good. And then as you get older, I think you go, this is kind of childish. Like you're like, oh, you don't appreciate me and my talents. You don't love me for all my contributions to society. So I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go to my gulch, you know, in the middle of wherever. And, uh, there only around my fellow brilliant people. Uh, will I be appreciated? I, I, my thing is like, what would the world look like if people did that? It would be horrible. So that, that my my ultimate takeaway on on Atlas Shrugged is that um, it's 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 immature. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. I mean, there's we could talk all day on on that, right? But going back to the technique yes. of the book, I, I started it when when the quarantine kind of hit, and I'm like, there's no better time to read. If I'm going to read Atlas Shrugged, then maybe now. Yeah. So I started it last summer. I'm a slow reader, and this is dense. And and then I came back and finished it this summer. But what was fascinating is for her to set up all those characters, and it, I guess it was interesting enough for me to stay with it. Sure. But it, but then in the second half, when she when it really went to rolling and there was action and, and, and now the people are preaching the ideology and you're figuring it all out. You're like, how did I get through that first part where <laughs> she like, like I really know Dagny now. I mean, I feel like Dagny's my sister. Like I know her and, but it took a long time to get to know her, which I don't know if you could pull off a book that dense in, in let's call it modern Gen Z millennial, that's right. ADD times. I, I that's what I kept going back to. Could this book be successful today? I, no, no. It's it's. And you're an author. You could tell it's me. It's extraordinarily difficult. And you think it's the book is basically like a series of like twenty page speeches. It's like character twenty page page speech. Oh, yeah. Twenty page speech twenty. And you're like, when you finish it, you're like, this shouldn't have worked, but somehow it did. So artistically. It's a feat of genius. Philosophically, it's sort of like the, the joke about Ayn Rand is that um, her, her thing is about the virtue of selfishness. Right. And I think yeah. it was Christopher who said, do you really find that people have trouble with that? You know, like, have you ever met anyone who wasn't selfish enough? <laughs> like uh, and I think I think that's where it falls short. It's, it's sort of addressing a problem that doesn't actually exist. No doubt. 
Les, this was amazing. I can't wait to see you again soon. And uh, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll do this again. Looking looking forward to it. I All enjoyed right, it. Talk soon. Talk soon. Hey, it's Ryan. If you want to take your study of Stoicism to the next level, I want to invite you to join us over at Daily Stoic Life. We have daily conversations about the podcast episodes, about the daily email. We actually do a special weekend set of emails for everyone. You get all our Daily Stoic courses and challenges totally for free. That's hundreds of dollars of value every single year, including our New Year New You Challenge, which we're going to launch in January. You get a special cloth-bound edition of the best of meditations that we've done. You get a bunch of cool stuff. It's an awesome community. I've loved being a part of it. I've loved getting to meet everyone who's trying to take their study of stoicism to the next level. Love to have you join us. Check us out at dailystoiclife.com. We'd love to have you and join us on this digital stoa that we uh, that we've staked out together and get better every day. Hey Prime members, you can listen to the Daily Stoic early and ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Spoiler alert, it's neither. At Happy Egg, we believe happiness of the hens is what actually came first, because without happy hens, there would be no such thing as happy eggs. You know, eggs with delicious orange yolks. Those come from hens who are raised the happy way on eight-plus acres of family-owned farms. Choose happy at happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg. Do you want to hear about the $100 wedding dress that just saved Abercrombie? Or the tech acquisition that was just like Game of Thrones? Or the one financial equation that can solve climate change? Then check out our daily podcast, The Best One Yet, or as we call it, T-Boy. This is Nick. This is Jack. And we pick the three most interesting business news stories every day for the perfect mix. 20 minutes each morning, you're going to feel brighter. We call it pop biz, don't we, Jack? Where pop culture meets business news. So whether you want to kick off a conversation with your buddies, or you're going for that promotion at work, or you just want to know the trends before your friends, feel brighter by starting your morning with us every weekday. Listen to the best one yet on the Wondery app or wherever you get your pods. You can listen to the best one yet ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. For more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts. With shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, and many more, Wondery means business.